Guinness beer. There, now I have your attention. Yes, we are talking about Ireland, the Emerald Isle, because of its lush greenery and rolling hills. Sports are huge, and contrary to popular belief, only about 9% of people in Ireland have natural red hair. (laughs) Can we check that statistic, (laughs) please? So why would a nomad travel there? Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveller. Hi, it's Kim and Phil with you exploring our latest destination, Ireland. And why, Phil, would a nomad want to travel to Ireland? Good question, Kim. Because, well, you asked it, so therefore it is a good question. <laughs> because not only does it have history, a dynamic cultural and music scene, and landscapes that take your breath away, it has the crack, which basically means news, gossip, fun, entertainment, conversation, banter, hilarity, all rolled in. And there'll be plenty of that in this episode as we head off on a pub tour of Ireland, learn about the quirky characters of Cork and celebrate a podcast milestone with some crack of our own. (laughs) Let's get into it with a friend of the podcast, Jared from Nomadosaurus. And look, I feel this could only happen to him and partner Alicia, caught in a hurricane in Ireland. Such is our luck, right? You know, we were in Ireland to speak at a conference and afterwards like, oh, we may as well just hang out here. Never been to Ireland. It was a place that Alicia was desperate to go visit. So we're there and it was getting close to winter and we're like, screw it, let's just rent a camper van and drive around. Uh, and had, an, had a great time cruising around, exploring some really interesting parts of the country and then... So perfect for an RV kind of experience? Look, I, I think Ireland for a road trip is just absolutely perfect. Cool. Uh, I mean, a lot of countries are great for road trips. Some are better for public transport and just kind of visiting the highlights. But Ireland for sure. You get a camper van or a car and cruise around because there are so many little peninsulas you can go and check out and uh, the Ring of Kerry and the Ring of Bear and like the Dingle Peninsula is great, Sleeve League, there's heaps of places, right? Um, and we went for a camper van because we love camper van travel. Yep. And we've done that in Canada and New Zealand and Australia and we were having a great time and then we get word, we actually got a text message from the camper van company. It's like, oh, just a heads up, there's a hurricane coming your way. It's <laughs> a what? Yeah, a hurricane. <laughs> I didn't even know Ireland got hurricanes. Apparently it was the first one in 80 years or something. <laughs> Uh, the text message was like, whatever you do, make sure you're not anywhere near the Wild Atlantic Way. And, of course, we're like smack bang in the middle, in the middle. of the Wild Atlantic Way. And we're like, well, what the hell do we do now? We can't can't just leave here because we've only got halfway through. There's still so many places to go. And we're like, ah, oh, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be too bad, right? So we start chatting to some Irish people about it. Irish, no, nothing kind of perplexes them. They're just like, oh, don't worry about it. It's yeah. going to be sweet, you know? Like, it'll it'll pass, nothing will come. So we're like, all right, we'll just take their word for it. You know, we're ignoring all the weather warnings and the camper van company messaging, going, make sure you don't screw up our camper van with this hurricane. <laughs> and we're like, oh, no, we're right, we're right. Uh, yeah, so we find ourselves in this little town called Lahinch, I think, um, or Len- Lenich, or beautiful little coastal surf town, and the hurricane's coming. Everything's starting to be boarded up and oh, I don't know what we're going to do. We drive really? past the caravan park. We call up old mate from the caravan park and it's closed and he's like, oh, look, there's a hurricane coming. I'll tell you what, I'll give you the code for the place and cruise on in. Just park up. You don't have to pay anything. Uh, but, yeah, you, you better try and get out of this hurricane. So we do that. We spend the night. Hurricane doesn't come. Uh, went into town to get some breakfast and people were like, what are you doing here? You need to get out. Like, it's coming at 11 o'clock. So it was a slow hurricane. It was a very slow hurricane. It was, probably had a big night on the Guinness the night before. Yeah, so yeah, by the sounds of it. Yeah, it was a bit slow. Start. Yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah, we ended up just jumping in the camper van and heading inland. And we ended up in this tiny little town called Ennis, typical Irish village, you beautiful. know, like just beautiful old pubs and, like, nice 
tree-lined streets and we had this camper van and we couldn't just park up in one of the like all the car parks and like no camping or whatever so we ended up driving around we found this really really fancy hotel that we definitely could not afford yeah you know, we was living in a camper van so we just like kind of snuck into the hotel found the loading zone and we found a semi-trailer that was parked up and a little bit of a gap in between where the semi-trailer was and this wall this old yeah. stone wall so we just nudged our camper van in there and figured well we got protection now from if this hurricane actually hits hopefully yeah. neither collapse on us and we'll be sweet and then only things open, supermarket and the pub. Well, supermarkets are kind of boring to hang out in. So we ended up in the pub right. along with every single person from Ennis. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you go when a hurricane's about to hit. It was a hurricane party. Just like in typical Irish fashion, they had a fiddle band playing oh. uh, and everyone was down there and everyone was celebrating the fact they didn't have to go to work because everything was closed and the hurricane was happening and Sure enough, rain started hitting pretty hard and uh, the winds picked up. But the town we were in, Ennis, nothing was too crazy there. But I think Galway got hit pretty bad. I think Cork, Ennis was fine. And this party just kicked off at about midday, 6 o'clock. Everyone was just absolutely hammered. We're all singing and dancing. (laughs) So Irish. Yeah, and the hurricane passes because no one wants to leave the pub at this point because everyone's sloshed. And so, (laughs) you know, everything's clear and the roads are open again and everyone's not, you've got to stick there to the pub. And you we couldn't leave. Everyone, every time we tried to like get up and walk back to the hotel, the camp, people kept buying us drinks and we're the only tourists in this town. That's um, fabulous. What a great story. And did the hotel cotton on to the fact that you'd use their loading zone for your uh, Oh, camper? they they must have picked up on it, but I think they were yeah, kind of chill about something it. something like that's happening, they go, that's fair enough, I reckon. So the first hurricane in 80 years and you're caught in it. What a great story and memory. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were there for it, that's for sure. What do you love about Ireland? People. It has to be the people, right? Uh, Ireland is a nation of great storytellers. It's the only place I've been where you can get chatting to someone about they're changing the light bulb in their grandma's lamp and it's the best story you've ever heard. You know, like <laughs> yeah. they, they can just talk for hours and hours and hours and make any mundane thing sound absolutely amazing and hilarious. Yeah. Um, so we just love travelling around and hanging out with Irish people and just listening to them talk and drink and meeting them on hikes and like hanging out with them. Like the people there are just amazing. Uh, but then and of course, the coastline is absolutely yeah, beautiful. The Wild Atlantic Way is like next level gorgeous. The Viking history you get around Waterford's quite interesting as well. If you're into that kind of stuff, um, I, I just loved Ireland. Can't wait to go back. You have sold me, Jared. A link to Nomadosaurus in show notes. Well, Tanya and David are known as the global hobos, the nine to five world zapping them of life. They set off to discover what life is actually all about without any financial security really and in doing so they hope to inspire others to make the jump and of course among their travels they've been to Ireland and David tells us about it. We arrived in Dublin and thought well okay we we, we haven't got a long time in Dublin because uh, we're heading up to Northern Ireland so we thought how best to uh, spend our time to get to know the city to get to understand the culture. So first thing we did was head off to the Leprechaun Museum uh, then on to Stonehouse which is the brewery for Guinness and finally, we finished off at Temple Bar, which is probably the world-famous uh, bar in, in Dublin. Now, the only problem with that is, according to the guide that took us on a four-hour walking tour around Dublin, they're the, probably the last three things that you should do to uh, get a feel for Dublin and Ireland. We'd basically done the tourist mecca of, uh, of Dublin and uh, learnt nothing about the culture. But he also offered a, a 20 a Euro pub tour. And so we thought, okay, all right, he's talking about this, but 
I, I think Ireland's more about sharing stories or, as they say, having a crack. So we took, yeah, took him up on his pub tour and the whole thing changed. You know, we got, we got out away from the history and we got to the roots of what Ireland is all about. When we moved to Galway, Galway is a very unique city. It's a city of music. It's a city of, of pubs. It's a university city. It's got a, an amazing, I won't just say nightlife because the, the place is just, it's got a real festive spirit to it uh, when you walk through all the streets. The pubs are open, there's, there's music, there's buskers everywhere. So we thought it only right that we create a pub crawl. We picked five pubs. We thought if we do two pints at each pub, the first pub we started off was O'Connell's. And this was a great little pub. This is, this, was considered, this is considered to have the best Guinness outside of the Stone House in Dublin. It's a little shop front. It used to be a grocery store. And now it's, it's beautifully decked out. All the, uh, the bartenders have vests on and ties. They're really well-dressed. Like anything, there's lots of locals. There's a mixture of locals and, and uh, tourists that just flit in and flit out. But you go out the back and this beer garden is the beer, biggest beer garden in the world. I'm sure of it. But it's like a, an, an, an old marketplace and it just keeps going and going and going from this little storefront the beer garden just opens up. It's, if you don't know about it, you'd never go in, you'd never find it. All right, put that on the list. Put that on the list. The other one you can't miss is the last pub we went to. It's called The Crane and it's just a nondescript building. It's just a white building and there's no flags, there's no leprechauns, there's no you know, best pub in town. Um, the streets were empty. There was nothing going on. This was probably about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. We thought, oh, it's Monday night, maybe it's closed. And we walked in and there's about 70 people there. And they're all sitting down. There were about 15 musicians playing in the corner. The place was just pumping. They, they weren't a band. They were individual musicians just jamming and no one was talking. Everyone was just enjoying the music, watching them, engaging with, with the musicians, drinking Guinness and gin and coffee, whatever they, you know, from that pub um, tour we did in, in in Dublin. This was the essence of Ireland. It's just amazing. It's it's what you just, if you if you picture Ireland apart from the, the the grandeur of its landscapes and its cliffs and uh, its many fables and, uh, and and leprechauns and so forth. This is the true Ireland. This is when you when you go to Ireland, you have to make a point of finding locals. Find those little bars that don't have all the facade, that don't have all the flags and everything. I have to tell you one quick story about um, what really made Ireland and I was quite happy to settle on it and go, yeah, I'm done. And uh, when, we, when we went to the brewery in, in uh, the Guinness factory, you can get your face printed onto the head of a Guinness. Nothing speaks more about Ireland to me than actually drinking a Guinness with your mug plastered on the top of it. It's quite interesting how they do it. They just take this photo, they pour a Guinness off the tap, they stick it in this machine and, and it just prints this perfect photo across the head of the beer. Now, if you drink Guinness correctly, uh, this head actually holds its form all the way down to the glass until, you know, eventually at the bottom it just dissolves. Part of the art of having a Guinness is watching it being poured and, and it's settling. And that's why when you're sitting at a bar and they pour you the beer, you sit there and have a chat because you're not going to get your beer straight away. Having a head on a head, okay, as much as the history is, is important and we can't forget the troubles, uh, there, that's Ireland really. 
A link to the Global Hobos in show notes. Thanks for that. And a pic of David's head on a head. <laughs> uh, look, we've heard from a couple of Australians so far, and it's no surprises. Um, both countries are quite closely linked. The first Irish convicts arrived in Australia as part of the first fleet in the 1700s. We're like cousins, and World Nomad Season even has an office in Cork. So we caught up with Mark to find out why Cork sees itself as separate to the rest of Ireland. Cork absolutely thinks it's different from the rest of Ireland. Um, we are the People's Republic of Cork. This is a self-chosen uh, title that we've given to our uh, humble little county. Actually, no, we're far from humble. I think we're more like charmingly obnoxious <laughs> in this part of the world. Um, so to best describe Cork and what makes it so different to the rest of the counties is basically the characters that dwell inside it. Um, they're overwhelmingly friendliness does compensate for the often underwhelmingly awful climate that we unfortunately have in the south of Ireland. What really kind of sums all this up for what Cork is is that back in 2013 we actually tried to obtain our own passports despite being part of the Republic of Ireland. It was uh, launched by the tourism board here and um, they started issuing Cork uh, passports just to anyone from Cork. Because that's how proud we are of our little locality and our wonderful city. And um, if that doesn't really sum up how proud we are of this lovely town, I don't know what does. Well, you're about to share with us your thoughts on Cork, the anecdotes and characters. I have said, well, no, I actually I didn't, Phil. Mark did. He said that he will slow down at any point <laughs> that we don't understand. It is an international audience. It's a, no, it's, a, it's a difficult accent. It's a different accent. Maybe they're a bit overly musical. The best way to summarise the Cork accent, I think, is we sound a bit like a hummingbird on crack. It's absolutely outrageous. It really is. I really, I have toned it down as best I could. The most wonderful viewpoint in Cork City that I'm always trying to tell everyone about is at the top of Patrick's Hill. Patrick's Hill is the second biggest hill in a city in Europe. Um, I heard that fact from the reliable source of elderly man in a pub. So maybe you want to research that one, possibly. But um, not, not, all, not all facts can be Googled. Um, you just got to rely on the locals, which is the most nomadic way of traveling. It's relying on the locals um, and their information and trusting them. At the top of Patrick's Hill, you get a wonderful view of Cork City. Um, and it's very near a local hostel called Brew Hostel as well, where you get a lovely blend of international and locals in there. Um, and if I could have one word to summarize and kind of complete what is the feeling I get from Cork, it would be cozy. I think Cork is a very cozy city but cozy, warm characters, because we'll never build, like, live up to the expectation of a metropolis in North America or the aesthetic you know, postcard that is Southeast Asia. We're just a cozy city. We know where we are, and um, we do love it here. And when people come to visit, we're always very ambitious and want to speak to them as much as we can. Tell us about some of the characters. There's actually some famous people from Cork that you would know and some that you might not know. So... Um, from an international perspective, you would guess Killian Murphy, who played Thomas Shelby in Peaky Blinders. I don't know if you guys are up to date in Peaky Blinders. If we have time, can I give you a little anecdote about the music history of Cork? Yes, please. So the music scene in Cork um, is just historic and it died for a while in the mid-90s, but it's finally rejuvenating. So. I want to go back to a year, I wasn't even born back then, but back in 1988, there was a club called Sir Henry's, 
And this was a small rock club that, slow, that slowly grew and became something much, much more. And it kind of encapsulated the soul of the city in the 80s and early 90s. It had a capacity of 400 people and bands such as Elbow, if you know, um, played there. Sonic Youth were actually supported by Nirvana in 1991. That's our biggest claim to fame. Kurt Cobain was here in 91 playing to a crowd of 400. But if you ask local Corkonians if they were there, they're all going to say yes. So it has a capacity of 400. <laughs> really, 35,000 people were at that gig, including my stepfather. So what you do is you got to ask them, have they got the ticket stub? And my stepfather says he has, but I haven't actually seen it. So I don't know what he really there. But that's the big one. Nirvana was in Cork. And then this club got taken over by a new owner and the rave scene came to Cork. And the rave was huge in the 90s. Um, and this went on for three or four years. Some of the biggest DJs came to Ireland. It was renowned almost as, as, as big as Berlin. That's what Sir Henry's was to Europe in the early 90s. And then it eventually closed down and the music scene died in Cork City. And over the last two or three years, we're finally seeing it come back in the way of small, artsy, acoustic arenas. So two churches have been renovated, St. Luke's and Triskill's, and the likes of Nick Mulvey have played there and Northern Irish artists called Soak. Um, I think it's amazing that, I mean, look, Ireland's not the same as it was 20 years ago. It's not the Catholic Christian country it was. It's still, it's still indelible within us, but the fact that we can now renovate a church from a spiritual home to now the home of a bring-your-own-bottle uh, music venue, I think it speaks volumes about how much we've transformed over the last few years. And for any traveller to nomads coming to Cork, the music scene is the main reason you've got to come here. And it's absolutely, it's getting better and better. Why don't you come to Australia? We would love to have you in our office. <laughs> I mean, it would be a dream come true, guys. Honestly, um, I, I, I'd love to, to come to Australia at some stage and have a crack off. Thank you, Mark. He's a character. Doesn't he just sum up what an Irish person is all about? When you can understand him, yes. yes. <laughs> we have created our own Spotify playlist of Irish songs, as suggested by travellers in our Facebook group. Just search for the World Nomads podcast on Facebook to join that, and we'll have a link to the playlist in show notes. Still to come, some crack of our own as we celebrate a podcast milestone. But, Phil, travel news. Okay. Why We Can't Have Nice Things, episode 342. <laughs> Taking photos of geishas in Kyoto and Japan has been banned by local authorities because of people chasing them down the street to take a selfie. Oh, come on. Anyway, look, if you get caught doing it, 10,000 yen fine, it's about 100 American dollars. Uh, look, I know we're about the experiences rather than the sights, but if you go to New York, you've been in New York? I haven't been to New York. Oh, okay. You have to do the Empire State Building, all right? It's a, what, it, heights, heights. I've oh, got a height issue. You're in a building. Kid. Yeah, still. Look, the observation deck that, you know, the outside one is on the 86th floor, but there's another viewing platform that's on the top floor, which is the 102nd floor. But it's just undergone a massive renovation. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars doing it up. It's got a new sort of historical aspect about the building of the Empire State Building, which was the first skyscraper over 100 floors in wow. the world. And is all, it's about to turn 90. It's a beautiful building. It is a beautiful building. And on the 102nd floor, they've removed all the internal columns. So while you're there, you can get a 360-degree view of New York. Thanks. 
so much for that, Phil. Amanda is a travel blogger. Now, she runs a site called Dangerous Business, but she's different from a digital nomad. Um, yeah, I have a home base in Ohio in the U.S. I live uh, near Cleveland. And yeah, I don't know. Like when I first started blogging, I had a full-time job. So traveling long-term wasn't even an option. Um, and then once I did kind of decide to devote some more time to blogging, I did think maybe I would become one of those digital nomad types, but, um, I, I ended up leaving on like a six month round the world trip. And after three months I was like, yeah, no, this is not for me. Um, and kind of cut it short. So the life on the road is, is tough. Like people think you're just on vacation the entire time, but for people who are digital nomads, you're not only living abroad often in like a completely different culture than you're used to, but you're also trying to work abroad. So you're trying to find time to work. You're trying to find good Wi-Fi. You're trying to like hustle for jobs. And sometimes it's just really tough. And I just was not about, about that hustle that was, was required. I'm also like one of those millennials who totally suffers from FOMO. So when I'm on the road, I have a really hard time like taking a break from the traveling part to actually work or relax or do any of the other like necessary things you just need to do in day-to-day life. You clearly take time away from work to travel and you've been to Ireland several times, which is why we want to pick your brains about the country. Yes, I've been to Ireland at least three or four times now, including I celebrated a birthday in Ireland once. Um, I've done road trips in Ireland and yeah, Ireland is a great travel destination and Americans especially really like Ireland. Why do they like Ireland in particular? For one, it's fairly easy to get to. It's a kind of safe and familiar feeling place because obviously everyone does speak English. Um, Irish people are known for being very friendly, but most of all, I think it's because a lot of Americans have Irish ancestry. So it's just kind of natural to want to visit places where your family may have been from. Yeah, we mentioned earlier in the podcast about our connection, Australia's connection with Ireland. But again, yeah, you guys do have a connection with Ireland, don't you? Yeah, uh, New York, Boston, a lot of the the big cities on the East Coast have big, big Irish populations. And and then moving west, I mean, pretty much every major city, you know, you had you had people from Ireland settling in throughout the Midwest. All right, that's a good setup, Phil, for the chat to come when we uh, speak with Ronan about Gaelic football and Absolutely. hurling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're just wondering what what you guys would get out of listening to us talk about Gaelic football, but obviously <laughs> you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> okay, so on the bucket list, of course, and everybody that goes to Ireland, they, they're told you must go see the Cliffs of Moher. So tell us about your experience of that. Yeah, so I've actually been to the Cliffs... I want to say three times now. Uh, So obviously, yes, very iconic spot in Ireland. Um, And the fact that Ireland is so small, like the very first time I went to the cliffs, I did it on a day trip from Dublin. Uh, It's only about a three-hour drive, like across all of Ireland from Dublin. So yeah, I visited three times in three like completely different seasons and weather conditions. And Ireland is one of those places that's known for, you could have literally every type of weather within a day. The very first time I visited, it was super windy. Um, The second time I visited, it was like sunny and beautiful. And then the third time, again, it was like wind, rain, maybe a little sleet thrown in, even though it was June. (laughs) So it's, 
it's uh, it is a very touristy place, but it's still also a very like wild place in Ireland. Which yeah, I, I was going to I was going to ask about that because there's like an, there's an entrance fee and there's a visitor center and stuff like that. Does that detract? Right. Does that detract from the experience much? I don't think so because obviously like it's, it's just cliffs and the cliffs kind of go along the whole coast of Western Ireland or at least that part of Western Ireland. So like once you get up on the cliffs, like it's, it's still feels very kind of open and wild. And obviously again, as an American, you know, going to a place like this, you are kind of struck by the fact that there aren't really any like safety barriers or anything like that. So you could easily just kind of, tumble over the edge if you get too close and I feel like that makes it feel quite authentic really because it's it doesn't feel super touristy once you leave the visitor center when we travel we obviously like to see spectacular things but the essence of travel is not really about ticking off sites it's about the experience that you have while you're there so what kind of I mean, you say you did it on a day trip. What kind of experience did you have traveling to the cliffs? So when I went on a day trip, um, it was like pretty standard day trip fare. Like we got on a small bus and we drove from Dublin and we stopped um, not far from the cliffs for like lunch in a pub, which was pretty cool. And then you go to the cliffs and you just have free time to kind of wander around. And um, the most recent time I visited, I actually went with my mom and my sister. Last summer, we did like a, a girls road trip around Ireland and the cliffs were actually the very first place we went. Like the morning we arrived in Ireland, we went straight there. Um, and it's like the experience is at first it seems touristy like you were saying because when you're driving in especially you drive into the parking lot and you have to pay like your entry fee and your parking fee and all that and then you walk into the visitor center but like from there it kind of starts to seem a little bit different from a lot of other touristy places because the visitor center itself is kind of like built into this hill so it's not just like this random building on a cliff. Um, it's, it's made to feel a little bit more natural. And then from there, you're free to just walk along the paths on the top of the cliffs. And the, those paths go for, um, there's like a coastal trail that goes along the cliffs for, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 kilometers, I think. Um, so, I mean, theoretically speaking, if you went up there and you just walked for a while, you wouldn't feel like you were anywhere touristy. Of the sunny day and the really windy and sleety day, which was your favourite? <laughs> um, I mean, I think I'd have to say the sunny day because, uh, number one, easier to take photos for sure. <laughs> and uh, number two, not so concerned about being blown by a stray gust of wind <laughs> into the ocean. <laughs> you know, I actually like, when I'm doing those sorts of my sort of connection to the ocean in a way, I mean, I love a good sunny day, but I also love it when you're in a really blustery cold day as well. It sort of totally has a, agree. it has a mm. sort of, you know, raw power and magnificence that really appeals to me. I mean, the good thing about Ireland or Scotland or any of those places is that you could have sun, wind, cold, rain, all within about 30 minutes. So it's perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amanda, and I agree with you, Phil. There is nothing like being in a place like that, all rugged up and windswept and looking forward to a fire and a hot pie and a glass of 
brown ale. Mm, fair enough. Yeah. Did you just dismiss me then? No, 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 no. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It looks like Amanda has given us the go ahead too. We can relax about our chat with Ronan on Gaelic football and hurling. One of the stories goes is that it was actually the inspiration for Australian football, and anyone who would watch it for the first time and is familiar with Australian football would see a lot of similarities in that. Uh, you've got one ball which a team is trying to advance down the field by passing it to each other, either by foot or by hand, by running with the ball and bouncing it. And then there is goalposts at the end, which you're aiming for to score. The one difference being that apart from in uh, Australian football, you've also got like a soccer-style net at the bottom of the goalpost. Like in rugby, when you see that small gap at the bottom of the goalpost, there's a net in there like a soccer goal and that, if you kick it past the goalkeeper there, it gives you three points. And if you kick it over the top of the bar in between the two uprights, is one point. Well, since most of our audience are uh, American, they have no idea what we're talking about Well, now. that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea behind Look, listening to a travel podcast so you get yeah, to know a destination. Well, how about we say it's a cross between... Uh, let's say soccer and rugby. Would that be a bit? Uh, yeah, that's not yeah. bad. Soccer and rugby bad. without offside. Ah, mm. Bit of basketball, I think, mixed in there oh, as well. Oh, yes, you've got I think a team right. that is running down the field and you're passing it from side to side or forward and you're trying to get it close to your goal when yep. one person then tries to shoot the ball towards the goal, except that in this case, they kick the ball or they hit it with their hand rather than throwing it like they do in basketball. Whether you get it or not, it's synonymous with Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, I mean, there's two sports there that are that are Gaelic games that are Indigenous games to Ireland. There's Gaelic football, which we were just talking about, and there's also hurling. So those are the, the two biggest games in Ireland, the two most popular games, um, which is a very unique situation because in most countries around the world it's – games that are played in many countries that are the most popular sports, like basketball we just talked about, like rugby, like soccer or athletics or swimming. These are the most popular games in most countries around the world, whereas in Ireland their two most popular games are ones that they invented themselves a long, long time ago. Hurling, for example, is is uh, believed to be at least 3,000 years old while Gaelic football dates back to the Middle Ages, uh, they haven't pinpointed it exactly, but it's at least 600 years old. I don't mind a game where, you know, it's a bit rough. I like seeing grown men smash into each other. It's not bad. Yeah. But hurling just Hurling looks, is rough. It looks hurling brutal. Is a seriously dangerous sport everywhere. I mean, guys are swinging a, a wooden stick as hard as they can, and it doesn't matter who's around them. If you're trying to get near them and get the ball, which you are trying to do, they will just swing the stick and if you're there and you cop it in the mouth, cop it in the shin, cop it in the elbow, that's all part of the game. It's a very tough sport. We mentioned that, well, Phil did, that if you're in America, you don't know what we're talking about with Gaelic football. But you actually had an ex- you did a session with experienced Gaelic games with an American family. The kids in particular, there was a couple of young fellas, uh, young young lads there who were really into it. They were really interested by it. I think particularly the hurling. Gaelic football is fairly easy to pick up straight away because you're just holding a round ball. You can bounce it off the ground. It bounces predictably. You're kicking it. Um, Whereas hurling has got much more specific skills, trying to hit a ball out of midair. So they were really interested in doing that. And I think like like a lot of people, they weren't quite sure of the rules, but they were just, you know, in there having a go and, and they seemed to have a lot of fun. And these Gaelic sports men and women too are a bit like in, well, universally, 
with sports stars, whether it's America or Europe or Australia, they're well paid, they're celebrities? No, this is one of the really curious and controversial aspects of the Gaelic sports is the fact that you would go over there and you would watch it on TV as an outsider and you would see these huge crowds, sometimes up to 80,000 people in Croke Park in Dublin, which is the main stadium in the country. You see it, blanket coverage on the TV. It's a massive, massive deal there. Uh, everyone is into these games. You would think that the athletes involved would be making some serious money out of it. Uh, they are big celebrities in the country, but they don't actually get any direct salary from the sport at all. It is an amateur sport uh, or sports, I should say, hurling and Gaelic football. I suppose it's the difference between uh, college football and the uh, NFL in the States, you know, the yeah, college, I mean, college kids are not supposed to be paid, people, but not supposed to be paid, but they get sponsorship deals and what have yeah, you. But, yeah, and this, it's the same situation that in in America, you know, there's so many people that are very upset with the fact that college athletes don't get paid and that the the colleges make so much money out of it. And it's it's this it's the same in Ireland, but Ireland also is it really values and cherishes its traditions, and I think they see this as well. A lot of people see this as one of their traditions that. These are humble amateur athletes. Uh, And so, you know, I think that has preserved its status as it is. So just like having a bit of a crack crack and a Guinness, uh, (laughs) Gaelic football or hurling is something you should experience if you visit the country. Absolutely. Thank you, Ronan, and thanks to all our guests, in fact, because we couldn't make the podcast without you and there wouldn't be a podcast if nobody was listening. But you do, and we're very grateful for that because we <laughs> recently... You very certain about no, it. Well, <laughs> you do, because I was trying to build up some anticipation okay, right, here. Right, I wasn't right, doing a very you. good right, job of it, yeah. was I? As you'll hear very shortly, we've raked up a quarter of a million listens, in fact, over a quarter of a million listens. I hope it's not the same person. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but it is remarkable given you and I often struggle. I don't see your audio showing up yet, mate. Can you hear me? I can now. You're coming out of the computer, not the f***ing headphones. Okay. Well, go into your settings and select a speaker. Make that the road. You there? Yeah, I'm here. You there? Yeah, I can. I can hear. You I can hear you. You there? Hang on. Oh, what the f- sake. I didn't have my headphones in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start that again. Look, we reached out to Caroline because, Phil, we often share stories of taking a safari in Africa or even seeing the wildebeest migration in Tanzania. (laughs) But every time I was hitting the button, it wasn't, like, letting me hit it so I couldn't convert it to the um, earphones. But but meanwhile, Kim is um, sending me a text message going, he's blind, you f***ing idiot. Just hover down over there. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, no. <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't sure how you were. Uh, how you were doing it? So. Look, if you need proof that I don't discriminate, that's it. Uh, you know. <laughs> Our next episode. What's it about, mates? How about I have no f-ing idea, Kim. <laughs> Plus, if you've enjoyed this episode on the Baltics, we'll also share some of our other world nomad stories, including one on the. Um, uh, <laughs> Kerasu, do you know? It's fine. All right, here we go. Haven't you worked that out after a year? It's Catherine, right?
Let's start again. Let's just start again. Uh, We've talked about that migration in the Tanzania. I can't (laughs) in Tasmania. (laughs) It's Tasmania. It does my head in. The amount of things that you and I have had to redo. But you've got to protect your reputation, haven't you? You do. You know, it's like, no, it's complicated. I'm not a denier. <laughs> plenty, of more, plenty of more bloopers where they came from, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, even a couple of them making this episode. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. it took go. us a while. Thanks for listening to us from wherever you get your favourite podcasts, truly. And you can also get in touch by emailing podcast at worldnomads.com. Uh, next week, have you ever picked up hit? Hitchhikers. No, but I've hitchhiked myself. Oh, were you worried? Yeah, but I, <laughs> I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, next week we're speaking to a bloke who's visited all 54 countries in Africa, picking up hitchhikers along the way. Hundreds of them. You've got to listen. It's fascinating. Bye. Bye.